Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. That's pretty beautiful stuff right there, amen? Well, today's message is to the parents and to the grandparents and also students. Everybody in here can benefit from this message, and it's called Living to Leave a Legacy. And let me just go ahead and tell you, parenting is not easy, and if you're a parent, say amen to that. Grandparenting is much easier, but it can be tough too. If you agree, say amen to that. Now, uh, to get us started, I just want to, I don't want to paint a picture that if you yield yourself to Christ and you study God's word and you abide by his rule book here, I, I don't want to pretend to help you make you believe that it means everything's going to be perfect. But I do want to help you understand that if you live by God's, uh, God's eternal, infallible, inerrant word, it changes everything, absolutely everything. It just does. And, and I'm a, a walking testimony of that. And, and in the moment, sometimes it doesn't seem like it's playing out that way. But you just give God time and he will work it out. Now, let me just paint the reality of what raising kids looks like, uh, even if you're doing the very best you can. Just last week, uh, Kyle and Marie, they have a little boy uh, named Hudson, and, and they got him ready. He had a new set of clothes, man. He had like a new jacket. He was looking all fly. She got him all ready. And, and Marie was by herself because Kyle was already over here. Well, on the way over here, she just smelled something. And it's not what you think. You know, you normally, you know, normally know what that is. It was unique. It was not the no, normal thing you might smell. And she thought, man, there's something sour in here. When she got to church, she looked in the back seat and, and, uh, Hudson had thrown up, they changed his diet from like breast milk to formula or whatever. And in that transition, his body responded and he blew it everywhere. And it was all over his clothes, but that wasn't good enough. He thought, well, this is a unique experience. So he decided to rub it on his face and in his hair, in his ears, in his eyes. And so Kyle got to go home and give him a bath. That's what parenting looks like, all right? A friend of mine, just a few years ago, his kids are grown now, so I'll leave their names out to protect the, the guilty. Um, but he, he, was in, he had responsibility for his kids. His wife was out, and he was, you know, father of the year. This is father of the year. This is father of the year. This is what it looks like. So his little boy came to him and says, Daddy, and I'm going to use some words, just kids' words. He says, Daddy, I need to pee. And he said, all right, he was building a tree house. He said, let me get these boards up right here, and I'll take you. And then his little girl says, Daddy, me need to poop. He said, yeah, let me get these boards up, and then I'm going to take you. Well, one board led to another board, and before it was over, the tree house was looking good, but then it dawned on him. Whoa. So he went to his little boy, and he said, come on, son, let's go pee. He said, already did. And he said, where? He said, in this cooler. He said, son, you don't pee in a man's cooler. He looked at his daddy and he said, it's not a man's cooler, it's your cooler. That'll stoke you up. So then he went to child number two and he says, come on, sweetheart, let's go use the bathroom. She said, me already did. And he said, well, let's go take care of the paperwork. So they went in the bathroom and there was stuff all over the walls of the bathroom. And he said, what'd you do, wipe your tail on the wall? She said, no, me hand. <laughs> now, that's what parenting looks like. 
all right? Now, I just want you to know today that pretending that that goes away when you surrender your life to Jesus, if anybody ever tells you that, that's a lie, okay? Because being a Christian is not always easy, and it comes with good days, and it comes with tough days. But I also want you to know that God wants you to live to leave a legacy, now, let me explain what a legacy is before, uh, before we get into this. Uh, a legacy is something that, uh, that someone passes on. It's given by a predecessor. And I just want you to understand something. There's nothing, there, there's, there's, there's one thing that you can pass on to your children, and it has two dimensions, and it's called belief. And parents and grandparents, you will either pass on your belief or you will pass on your unbelief. It is that simple because they watch you. They look and see how you live your life. And, and how you live your life will, in fact, impact their life. Because often we put everything above what's most important. We, t- we take material possessions. We take sports. We take our jobs. We take our personal hobbies. We take Facebook We take texting, our cell phones, and our children and grandchildren watch. And they see those moments when we career it and God is on his throne. But they see those other times when we place everything else as number one in our life. So we're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to the Old Testament, and I'll explain why in a minute. But I want you to know that God's word, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it is has continuity, and it all points to the reality that we're all fallen, and God still desires to have a relationship with us through Jesus' Son. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the fifth uh, book of the Bible, the, the, the last of the Pentateuch that Moses has written, and there's, uh, there's a passage in there that is a pinnacle in Jewish culture of Scripture, and it's called the Shema. And the Shema is is a scripture that would help a Jewish person acknowledge the greatness and the magnitude of who God is. So that every day they would say, recite, memorize, and, and, and say these prayers to God twice a day. In the morning they would say it to remind them, I need to put God first because he deserves it. In the evening they would say it again to remind them, I need to put God first because he deserves it. And so he's going to tell us today uh, four things to help us live to leave a legacy. And it doesn't matter where you're at in the journey. Maybe you have crashed and burned in passing this thing on. It's okay. You can start fresh today. Maybe you're doing pretty good at, at developing the spiritual side of your children and grandchildren. Great. This is an encouragement to keep it up. The first thing I want you to see is on the back of your worship guide, and it's called Your Responsibility. Tell your neighbor, just own it. Now, Scripture tells us that we live in a world that wants to pass the buck. Well, I'm a victim. I'm a victim of circumstances. I'm this or I'm that. No, no, not with God. God takes it all, and he makes it all new, and so we have no excuses. So he's going to help us understand that, that this thing is our own responsibility. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, 
the ordinances that the Lord your God instructed me to teach you so that you may carry them out in the land where you are headed. The first thing under your responsibility, he encourages us to take this thing with us. He says, I want you to carry them out in the land where you are headed. He says, now, to carry them out into this land has two sides. And the first side is much easier than the second side. The first side, to carry it out, it means you take his word into your life and you kind of take it with you. You memorize some verses. You study the Bible a little bit. If somebody asks you, you say, yeah, I believe the Bible's true. So there, this has some degree or, or of impact in your life. The second part of carrying it out is more difficult. This one we choke on quite a bit. To carry it out as you go means to obey what it is that you carry into the place that you're headed. It means not only do I believe it, do I understand a little bit of it, do I, do I want to pursue this thing that God has for me, it means now the rubber hits the road and I obey what it is that it tells me. So to take it with us into tomorrow. The second thing that I want you to understand is not only are we supposed to take it with us, but we're supposed to trust him and his word. Listen to what verse 2 says of Deuteronomy. It says, that you may so revere the Lord your God that you will keep all his statutes and commandments that I am giving you. We're to have a, a reverential fear of the holy nature of God. It's not like sometimes people say, hey, throw a little prayer up to the man upstairs. <laughs> yeah, he's so much bigger than throwing a little prayer up to the man upstairs. All right, he's God. He is Yahweh. In Jewish culture, they would not even write the name God because they were afraid. They had this reverential fear even of his name. Uh, if you were a, a, a Masoretic Jew, one who would pen scripture, when you got to the place where you were going to write the letters representing Yahweh, you would change your writing instrument and have a ceremony, ceremonial cleansing it is that big a deal. And that's how we're supposed to look at God. Now, the reason we have to have that view of God, because then it makes it all the easier to obey his statutes, his ordinances, and his commands. Because if he, if he is that kind of God, and he has given us this kind of word, then it's easier to obey. We need a much bigger view of God. We always, always, always need a view of God that says, big God, little me. But we live in a world that wants to be big me, little God. Oh, I've got God figured out. No, you don't. If you think you've got God figured out, the one you figured out is not God. You see, if you think you figure out God, you've elevated yourself to some kind of supernatural godness, or you've deflated him into human zone. He is always bigger than you can understand, imagine, or conjure. And that's the kind of view we should have of God. I remember growing up, my mom and dad are here and, uh, and, and they raised four boys and, uh, and, and the other three gave them a lot of trouble. I was usually at home reading my Bible and, you know, praying for the sick people in our neighborhood. You know, that's a lie. I, I, I'm sorry, Lord. Okay. Now here's, here's the thing, a reverential fear of God. My, when my dad got saved, uh, and he was in his twenties and he started raising our family in church. And, and, uh, I remember when we were growing up, we hadn't established that reverential fear of God like he had, so he established that for us, okay? Now, what that meant, as a good example, was on Sunday nights, if you're old, you remember, you would have three channels on your television, okay? And, and Disney, Walt Disney would come on on Sunday nights, 
okay? And I remember there would be a good Disney coming on, and, 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 and myself and my brothers would get together. Which one of us are going to go to dad and mom and say and, and ask this question? Do we have to go to church because this is coming on on Walt Disney? Okay, and that was our question presented all wrong. Do we have to go to church? And, and my dad had this answer. He would just hammer us every time we would be dumb enough to ask that question. He would say, do you have to go to church? Oh, no. You don't have to go to church. You see, there's people all over the world that don't have the freedom to go to church. They wish they had a church. They wish there'd be a church there that share the gospel. But we have a church, and we're free to go. So no, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. So put your shoes and socks on. We're going to church. And you know what my, me and my three brothers did? Man, we would bow up and sit down and put our shoes and socks on because we're going to church. Now, that's what a reverential fear looks like in parenting. It means you're so serious not for yourself but you are the parents. Parents and grandparents, let me tell you something. You're the big people. <laughs> we live around this world. You look around. Big people have forgot that they are really the big people. And the little people are controlling the big people. That is not God's plan. The little people are not supposed to be controlling the big people. Now, when it comes to obedience, God is really good about grace and forgiveness, but God is more serious about obedience. Samuel wrote something in 1 Samuel 15. He says, Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as he does obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of the rams. Now, now, what does that look like? It looks like this. As Christians, we all have a testimony. If you are a believer, you have a testimony. What that looks like is between you and Jesus, okay? But I remember growing up, we would go to a, a conference, and they would have some evangelist who had this amazing testimony. You, you know what I'm talking about. It looks like this. I was a heroin addict, and I, 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 I shot my mama and killed her, you know, and I went to prison, and while in prison, you know, I, I started a gang, and well, there was an uprising, and we escaped, and, you know, and then somebody came in the prison and preached the gospel, and I got miraculously saved, and he changed my life. And I'm sitting there as a kid thinking, why can't I have a testimony like that? Am I going to have to start taking heroin? How do you, what a beautiful testimony. And then one day I met a friend who had a testimony like that, and I was just, I was having lunch with him in seminary, and I was like, dude, that's an amazing testimony. He said, no, it's not. He said, it's an amazing transformation. An amazing testimony is a testimony that says I had parents who cared enough about me to point me to Jesus, and I yielded to that. And I've tried to live for Jesus, and then I met Jesus and got saved, and I still live for him. That's a beautiful testimony. Why? Because God desires obedience more than he does sacrifice, okay? Now, now the next thing I want you to see is, is who it's to. He says, I'm, the next point is to transfer it forward as a responsibility. It says in the second part of verse 2, he says, this is what I'm giving you. Now, who is this to? The first you here are grandparents and great-grandparents. So let me ask you something. If you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent, I want you to stand up. Okay. Yeah, stand on up. Wow, that's beautiful. Everybody show some love for grandparents and great-grandparents. All right, you can be seated. How do I know he's talking to grandparents? Because listen how the text reads. He says, I am giving you, I'm giving your children and your grandchildren. Backing up you, it would be grandparents. All your lives to prolong your days. So, so first I want to speak to the grandparents um, because that's me. 
the little girl, uh, Juliana, I have to pause every time I say her name because my grandson, they were standing right here. It's my grandson, Judson, and my granddaughter, Juliana, and my grandson calls her Julina, and I want to call her Juliana. In fact, I do. This, this is the first time I've called her Ju, Juliana in a month probably because Julina just sounds cool, all right? And, and so, so I'm a grandparent, and so we have an obligation and a responsibility to, to, to help our children, but also our grandchildren. We get to invest in our grandchildren at a time in our life where we don't have all the junk that we were worried about when we were just parents. You know, when you're just a parent, you're 20, 30 years old, and you have a baby, you're fighting to survive. I mean, the guy's thinking, I've got to make a, I've got to make a living and provide everything for my children. The woman, she's taking care of the children. They're doing these things together. Man, it's just, you're in the grind of things. And then you get to a place where you get to be grandparents. And I say that get to be because it's some sweetness right there. I mean, it's real time. And I tell people all the time, people used to tell me, you just wait till you have grandkids. Oh, grandkids, grandkids. I got sick of it. Okay. It's so, I heard it so much. I thought you didn't even like your own kids. That's why you like your grandkids. And I love my kids. Okay. Still do. And then we had grandkids and all of a sudden, what kids? You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're off the chain. God knew what he was doing when he structured this whole thing. So as grandparents, even if you don't have a close relationship, maybe they live at a distance. Grandparents, great-grandparents, you can still invest in their spiritual development. You can write them a little letter, put some scripture in there. You can get them a little book and send it to them. So I was just thinking about you. It's, it's beautiful getting to see your, your, your grandchildren begin to grasp and see God, and, and it doesn't take long. And I get the honor to pastor a church with a lot of young families. And, and when they have babies, I get to go to the hospital. I encourage them in that. And, and then they, they come to life group or they come to me. Let me, tell you what, let me tell you what my son or daughter said. Because they're just little and they're saying things of God. It's like, where did this come from? Because, listen, Jesus admonished children. When, when, the, when the big people, the disciples, were being taught and the children wanted to come, the disciples said, hey, get the, get the children away, you know. This is, this is adult time. This is adult swim, okay? And, and, and Jesus said, you let the children come to me because unless you have faith like them, you ain't going, you're not going to experience the kingdom, right? So we can learn from these grandchildren and these great-grandchildren. I am who I am in part because of grandparents. My wife is who she is in part because of grandparents. I had a grandmother who lived in Lake City, and we would go stay with her. And... Uh, she would cook for us, and she was a great cook, and she would sit down and pray with us, and she was always talking about the Lord. And on Sunday morning, she would walk us to church, you know, rain or shine, and we're going to church. Uh, she, when she got old, she was a school teacher, and she lost her vision. And I remember she, she knew the Lord so much, she said, I can't see anymore. I don't feel good anymore. And I was, I guess, in high school, and she said, Joel, will you just pray that the Lord will just take me on home? And I said, no. Well, you do that for yourself. I don't do that, okay? She invested in us as a grandmother, okay? Kendra's grandmother, Cleta, uh, Reva's mother, she, she, Kendra's in part who she is. She made that little dress right there. Well, she and I, we worked on it together. That's a joke. Okay, she worked up that little dress. She made that for Caitlin years ago, reformed and fabricated it to, uh, to fit Julie, Julina and uh, made her little bonnet and everything. She... She inherited that from her grandmother. I mean, that's where, and her dad, I mean, that's where they got it. It's, it's, it, it passes on. But I want to tell you, the greatest thing you can ever do, grandparents, for your grandchildren is to pass on a real faith, a faith that's bigger than the world they live in because the world is gobbling up our grandchildren. 
It's a hard, hard world. And they need to know when they come to, as for us, Mimi and Popo's house, they need to know they're loved. And I want to remind you of something else, grandparents, and this will reach into parents too. Sometimes we need to remember when our child, our grandchild is doing something that you'd rather not they do. I think I said that right. You would rather they didn't do, okay? Um, they're, they're grandchildren. They're little people. And the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And the reason they're in your world is because you had a son or a daughter, and they reproduced, and now they have your grandchildren. And there's a thing called DNA, and that little ugly side of them grandchildren, they got it from their Mimi and their Papo, okay? They got it from their pops over here, from their honey, all right? It just comes in the family tree, all right? So sometimes we need to remember as grandparents, okay, I'm a Christian. I've been a Christian for 46 years. Sometimes... My grandson says, instead of, are you kidding me right now? He says, be kidding me right now. That's what he says to me. Be kidding me right now. And I say, and, and I say it to him, be kidding me right now. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a 46-year-old Christian. I'm 56, but I'm a 46-year-old Christian. And sometimes to this very day, as a 46-year-old Christian, I believe God on his throne looks at my life and says, be kidding me right now. You still doing that? Okay, and that's how we need to grace our grandchildren, okay? Now, to the parents, I also want to speak to you a little bit uh, because the buck really stops with you. You know, my job, the grandparents' job is to, you know, stoke them up on sugar and send them home. In Jesus' name, it's good, okay? Uh, my, our job is to discipline in a different level, okay? To encourage the, the same truth that you as parents uh, want to, uh, want your children to, to act the life that you want them to live. But the, the buck really stops with you. And we live in a world where the men have washed their hands of responsibility. And I just want to tell men in here who are parents, you may, you may shuck the obligation off on your wife or the grandparents. You will not shuck the responsibility. God holds you as a man responsible for your family. It's the whole nature of the way God ordained and designed the family. Doesn't mean the man is better than the woman. Doesn't mean uh, that one is above the other. It just means the buck stops in the man's camp. And so you got to own that. You just have to own it. And so, uh, so the question is, as parents then, are you sold out for Jesus Christ? Jesse, when I was baptizing him, I the microphone was on, but he looked over and he's all excited. I love when somebody's excited about being saved. I love when somebody's excited about their journey. I love when somebody's excited about God's word. I love when somebody's excited about getting baptized so they can show the world I'm a new man. I just love that stuff. And he leaned and he looked at me, he goes, I'm all in. Man, I, if, listen, if we as a church and we as parents and grandparents, if we're all in, the world would change. But most of us, we, we kind of step in, step out. I'm all in, I'm all out. It's, it's like we get both of those pictures. And so, parents, I want to I ask you a question. If, if after church today, or maybe, maybe I've already instructed the leaders in the uh, preschool and the children, children's department today to give your children or grandchildren a quiz. And it looks like this. Your grandparents, what's most important to your grandmother? What's most important to your grandfather? What's most important to your daddy? What's most important to your mommy? You know, they know what's most important because they watch you every day. And, and what would the answer be? What would they say, this is most important to my papo, my mimi, my 
dad, my daddy, and my mommy because they know. It's really important what you demonstrate to them. It, it just is because they will become in part who you demonstrate to them. And I just want you to know if God is really big in your life, that God stands a real good chance of becoming big in those children and grandchildren's life, okay? So as parents, you have to be disciplined. It will not happen intentionally. Uh, I remember when the girls were little, we would teach, we'd do Bible studies. And Caitlin, our older daughter, she made a profession of faith at six, and we went through a, a, a survival kit, a little Now That I'm a Christian book. And we'd sit on one of, the bunk, one of the twin beds, and we were going over it with Caitlin. And Kelsey was four. And she'd listen. She'd say, Daddy? I'd say, yes, yeah. I want to get saved tonight. I said, well, let me get her saved first. And then we'll figure it out. Okay. And, and, and so the next night, Daddy, I want to get saved tonight. She's four. God knows. She's probably already saved. God knows what he's doing. He knew what was in her heart. Well, each night, man, she, she's paying attention. I'm telling you, they're watching. I, I remember one night we were praying uh, after... Uh, we read a Bible story and we were praying. It was sweet times, wasn't it, Kendra? And I remember uh, one of them said, Daddy, my belly hurts. Will you pray for my belly? And I said, yeah, I'll pray for your belly. And, and we prayed for her belly. And I said, all right, I love you girls. I'll see you in the morning. Night, night. Went to turn the light off. Whichever one it was, she goes, Daddy, my, my belly's still hurting. Now, listen, that's what childlike faith looks like. I prayed. God should have heard. The belly should, ache should be gone, right? That, that's how we should pray. Not necessarily that it happens that way. We should pray with expectation. And so I said, well, baby, listen, we've prayed. We've left it to God. So why don't we go to sleep? I'll pray that you can go to sleep. And then by morning, maybe God will take that bellyache away. She said, okay, because she trusted her daddy too. Next morning, oh, I walked out of the room and I said, God, you better heal her belly. We're both hanging in limbo on this one. Okay, sure enough, next morning, she was fine. I'm telling you, parenting and grandparenting is a beautiful thing that is designed and ordained by God. The third group that he refers to, he says, grandparents, parents, and children, young people. He's speaking to you too. And you're here, so there's a likelihood that you have a good, um, uh, some good parents or grandparents who are investing in your lives so much they care that they have you here in church, and that's a beautiful thing. But maybe you're here and you don't have that. Maybe, maybe your grandparents didn't invest in your life. Maybe your parents are drifters spiritually and you're not getting it. As bad as that is, and I hate that for you because we were blessed, Kendra and I were blessed not to live in that world, but I want to tell you this. You are a product of your decisions. You're not a product of your circumstances. And I want to paint a picture, an ugly picture of what it looks like when this world says, I am a victim of my circumstances, and therefore I'm going to lash out and rebel against God and against good, and I'm going to live for myself. And listen, we every Monday night, we go downtown and we feed about 250 homeless people. And those homeless people, some of them are products of embracing their circumstance above the opportunity to embrace the one who changes and takes a mess and makes a message out of it. And by the grace of God, all of us are just a few decisions away of being part of that group down there. And so I want you to know as young people, you are who you choose to allow God to make you. You are not the end result of circumstances beyond your control. But what you can do is yield yourself to Jesus Christ 
and let him make something beautiful out of your life. Because when he placed you together, when he knit you together in your mother's womb, he had a purpose and a plan for you that's bigger than you even understand. And only when we yield that to him will he develop that and use you to his glory and your good. So you have a responsibility. Number two, I want you to know there's a rule book that you get to live by. It says in verse three, pay attention, Israel, and be careful to do this so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in number. As the Lord God of your ancestors said to you, you will have a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord is our God. Here's the Shema. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with your whole mind, with your whole being, and with your whole strength. And so there's a rule book. It looks like this. It tells you everything you need to know, certainly not everything there is to know, But if you can get this into your life, if you can graft this into your soul, into your being, into your daily living, it will change the dynamics of your life and the family that is around you. Now, it tells us everything that we need to know. We're in Deuteronomy here today, the fifth book of the Bible, written years and years and years ago. Is it still important today? I want to show you how important it is. If you'll remember when Jesus was baptized. The Bible says he was led straightway into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He had this calling upon his life as the son of God to go into the wilderness and be tempted by the devil. Three temptations is all that he got, but they were categorically conclusive. Every category of opportunity for sinfulness, he was approached with. The pride of life, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes. The temptations look like this. Temptation one, after 40 days of fasting, Mr. Crafty shows up and he said, hey, Jesus, look at these stones. They're smooth like bread. Why don't we have a bread party? Temptation number two, he says, come up here on the pinnacle, and if you'll jump off, the angels, the Bible says, will catch you, and the whole world will know that you're God's son. Temptation number three, he says, if you'll bow down to me just for a minute, I will give you all that you see. There they are, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. Right here in this rule book of all places in Deuteronomy chapter six, this is where Jesus conquers the enemy. This is where Jesus defeats Mr. Crafty from Deuteronomy chapter six and chapter eight. Listen what happens. He says first, he quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3. Man does not live by bread alone, but out of the, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Father. Deuteronomy 6, 16, he says, do not put the Lord your God to test. Deuteronomy 6, 13, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Deuteronomy 6, right there, it has everything we need to, need to defeat Satan. It's beautiful. But if we don't know it, if we don't get in it, we will never, ever know it. So he's given us a rule book. J. Vernon McGee, one of my heroes of the faith, old school, uh, he has a quote which I use regularly, and it's perfectly appropriate here. J. Vernon McGee says this, friend, this is God's universe, and he has a way of doing things. Now, you may say, I have a better way. He says, but friend, you don't have a universe. You know, ain't that sweet? That's the bottom line right there. We want to come up, conjure up, fabricate, reword, remake God's word and make it appeal to us. It's not our universe. It's God's universe, and he's given us a rule book. Now, the beauty of God is that even though he has given us a book, he allows us the freedom to make mistakes and and still be on the journey with him and for him to still honor us, okay? Now, rule books are funny. No matter how well you know the rule book, sometimes you'll mess it up. 
You know, it's like if you're playing a game, like a board game with your family. You ever been to a place and they're playing a game and they have a whole different set of rules? You ever had that, you know? It's like, what rule book are you reading? Oh, this is the way we've done it forever. Okay, whatever. That ain't what the rule book says. Okay. So I have a friend of mine. He's actually my brother-in-law. His name's Johnny Cox. And Johnny Cox is a referee. He's a, he's a respected referee. Okay. Been doing it for years. He's really good at what he does. He knows the rule book, frontward, backwards, upside down. He got it. Okay. So we go to lunch one day and a girl comes over to be our waitress at the table. She said, I'd like to take your drink orders. And she looked at Johnny and she said, Hey, I know you. And he said, Oh, you do? How do you know me? She said, Because uh, I played in a district ball game and you were the referee and you were standing under the goal with the ball in your hand. And a girl said, A pick and I come running around toward the goal and you gave me a bounce pass. I shot and scored. And Johnny goes, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, like that. And I said, no, no, not okay, hold on. I said, I want some meat and potatoes to go with this story. So what happened, Johnny, who's a great referee, he knows the rule book. He's holding the ball under the goal, and his whistle got tangled up, and he's looking at his whistle, and all of a sudden, he looked at this girl. She's wide open, coming for a layup. He gave her a bounce pass. She shot and scored. And I'm, I said, well, how'd that end up? And Johnny said, he's running down the court, and the coach for the other team is screaming his guts out, saying, hey, you can't do that. And Johnny said, play ball. Like the whole world will forget that little thing ever happened right there. You know, there's no, no video cameras were gone. Okay. Now, now, here's the thing. He still got called back for other games. And you know, it's that way with God. He gives us a rule book, and all he says is just try to follow this rule book. Just plug it in. And you're going to mess some of it up, but it's okay. I'll work it all out. You just give it your very best. The last thing I want you to see, it's not only a rule book, it's a road map. We're almost finished. He says in verse 6, these words I'm commanding you today, they must be kept in mind. And you must teach them to your children and speak of them as you sit in your house, as you walk along the road and as you lie down. When you get up, you should tie them as a reminder on your forearm and fasten them as symbols on your forehead. Inscribe them on the door frames of your houses and gates. So I'm an alliteration freak, and so I write it this way. I want you to think about it, teach about it, talk about it, travel with it, turn in at night with it, and to start your day tomorrow with it. That's what he says, and there's intentionality in God's Word. He says it's got to be a part of every part of our life. It starts in the morning, it carries through the day, and it finishes up in the evening. And if you'll do that, parents and grandparents, your children will be different people. Wow, listen to this. Your children will be different people because you will be a different person, and they're watching you. So you have a responsibility, a rule book, and a roadmap. And the fourth thing is you have a reward. Verse 10 says, then... When, not hopefully if, then when the Lord your God brings you to the land he promised you, uh, your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to you a land with large, fine cities that you did not build and houses filled with choice things that you did not accumulate, hewn out of cisterns you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, and then you will eat to your fill he says, listen, if you will honor me by taking responsibility, living by this rule book, following this as a roadmap, I will reward you with blessing. It doesn't mean your children and grandchildren are going to be perfect. 
because they're chip off the old block. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but it sure does soften the blow when the enemy gets in the lives of our children and our grandchildren. Preparing this message, it's changed the way I look at my grandchildren and those potentially, prospectively, we have in the future. That they are beautiful little beings that God has blessed us with, not just to laugh with and watch them grow, but to invest in and watch their spiritual life develop right before our eyes. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm finished. I want you to know today that none of this makes sense, none of this matters, none of this works until you have a relationship with the God who authored this book. And I want you to know the only way you can have a relationship with the God who authored this book is through Jesus, his son, his death, burial, and resurrection. And I want to invite you today, I want you to know this truth right now with your eyes, your head bowed and eyes, because I want you to know this. God loves you right where you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you in that spot. He wants to put you on a spiritual journey toward him that changes everything about this life. All the while preparing for you a place in eternity, a destiny with him forever called heaven. And it hinges on this one thing, what you do with Jesus Christ. It hinges on this one decision where we realize I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and God has provided himself as my Savior. And at that point, you get to choose to accept or reject his gift of grace found in Jesus. And in that moment, you just simply say, God, I know I'm a sinner. When I look in the mirror, it just shouts at me. When I look at my past, it screams sinner at me. But God, right now, I believe you love me. I don't get that kind of love. I don't believe it. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I want Jesus, the author of that love, to come into my life to save me right now to change my life and make my mess a message so that I'll live for you sold out forevermore, that you would get the glory from my life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me from this day forward be a child of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer when the service is over, you can find me or one of our leaders. Let us know about your decision so we can help you, pray for you, put some things in your hands to help you on your new journey. And for the rest of us, it's just time to go out there and live like God wants us to and invest in our children and our grandchildren. To God be the glory. Amen. Now, I'm getting ready to show you something that's very unique. Never done this before. But uh, we have an announcement to make for the church. And so if you'll turn the lights down, we'll show this video and then we'll dismiss, uh, dismiss immediately following. Back in 2010... Our pastoral staff at Second Baptist attended a conference sponsored by the North American Mission Board and the Tennessee Baptist Convention urging us to look into the possibility of a church revitalization. What is a church revitalization? It's an opportunity for a, a church that is a little healthier to be able to partner with a church that's had some struggle and to uh, bring them to a greater health and vitality. And our Southern Baptist Convention has urged our churches to be on the lookout for those opportunities. A few years later, God brought our two campuses together. And what an exciting time it has been for us to see the magnificent growth and the work that God has done at the church at Sturkey Hills. It's just been a phenomenal thing. It's been a tremendous blessing, and uh, I can't express enough uh, appreciation 
to both churches, the, the campus at Clinton and also the, the campus at Sturkey Hills for being willing to embrace such uh, a serious change uh, because nobody likes change. But because of our willingness to embrace what God was wanting to do, uh, there's no doubt about it, God has blessed us. He's blessed this campus at Clinton. He's blessed the campus at Sturkey Hills. And, uh, and we're just delighted. Uh, and I can't, I can't say anything uh, negative about what God has done. And it's been a tremendous blessing to be a part of something so good. And we have seen a real miracle take place there. The church now is reaching about 350 people a week in attendance, and this from an attendance of about 70 when we began five years ago. And so it's just been a great, great blessing. And our Southern Baptist Convention and Tennessee Baptist Convention has inquired on different occasions about how God has done this work through our two campuses. And now we come to a point where in a revitalization process, the maturity of the, of the campus comes to a point where it becomes uh, essential for them to look to the future and to what is going to be next in that relationship. And just like when a parent raises their children, there comes a point where they're ready to stand alone, ready to, to, to make their own decisions. And uh, obviously, with the church at Sturkey Hills, uh, the church now is strong enough to be autonomous, strong enough to be on their own. And as we have evaluated the future of both of our campuses, it became apparent to us that the revitalization has been eminently successful in every way. We've accomplished what we wanted to accomplish, and we need at this point to make a recommendation that we uh, release the church at Sturkey Hills to be autonomous again so that they can consider what their next steps will be in future growth. Uh, we want to be very candid and clear that when we began this process uh, five years ago, people would ask, do you think you'll ever be on your own? Do you think we'll ever separate these campuses? Our answer has always been the same. Uh, we, we don't know. We've never done this before. Uh, we, at the time, for, for the first five years, there was nothing gained by separating, so it was, a, um, it was not, not even something to consider. At this point, it seems from God that it is the obvious answer for both of the futures of our churches, and we embrace that. And we haven't massaged it or manipulated it or motivated it. We have just allowed it to be and become what it is. We have prayerfully looked at uh, how we would take the next steps uh, between our two campuses. And in a very positive way, God has worked in a unifying way to show us the next steps. We want to continue to have a relationship uh, in a missions way, we are going to continue to pray for and to be involved with watching our sister campus grow as they are autonomous. And we are recommending to our Second Baptist family that uh, we uh, legally uh, take the steps to, to by May the 1st for the uh, churches to become two autonomous churches again. The second part of it is, at the time that we purchased the church at Sturkey Hills, uh, we assumed their debt, and over a five-year period, a portion of that has been, has been taken care of, but we have some of it left. And in order for us to continue our mission involvement and our mission work with them, <coughs> we've come to a mutual agreement that the church at Sturkey Hills they have received uh, over $200,000 in gifts 
that they have taken pertaining to their future, and they are going to uh, uh, give to us that amount to pay down on the debt that we assumed concerning their property, and then we will equally join with them in a 50% partnership where we will keep the rest of that debt uh, on us about 225000 that we will continue. Our payments will not change. They will stay exactly the same as they are now, but we will help them to be able to uh, have their property to look forward eventually to building, and we will consider the amount that we keep uh, from their debt as our mission investment. Uh, as we've talked about it, the deacons unanimously said they felt like this was a great plan. The finance team said, we, we need to do this. And so next Sunday, uh, the uh, 31st, we will make this recommendation to our church formally and uh, we will, uh, we will, or we will be able to meet tonight, the thirty-first. I should say at seven o'clock here at our church. Anyone who has any questions, we will meet this evening to answer those questions. And tomorrow night uh, at Sturkey Hills at seven o'clock, we will meet and answer those questions. And then on April the seventh, next Sunday, we will formally vote to uh, release Sturkey Hills with our blessing, our love, and with the excitement of what we believe God is going to do in their future. So the recommendation will be given, and next Sunday, April the 7th, we will vote on that as a church at both campuses. And Brother Joel, it's been a great partnership. Is there a word you would share with us? I would just like to say 15 years ago, uh, this man met me for lunch, and we prayed over the opportunity of me coming and joining uh, this great church, uh, Second Baptist Church Clinton. And uh, it has been an amazing ride. Ten years of those, of those years were right here at this campus or at the other campus before we re relocated. And it was a major change for us 15 years ago. And then five years ago, the opportunity to revitalize uh, was presented to us and major change once again. And it has been our posture and our position before God not to reject change, but to embrace change if it comes from God. And this is another one of those moments where change is presented. And I also want to say it is an honor to have been uh, partnered with Brother Mike for the last 15 years. Uh, one of the greatest men I've ever known, and I can't imagine serving alongside a better person than Brother Mike. So second is blessed to move forward with Brother Mike. Uh, some would say Sturkey is blessed to be moving forward with Brother Joel, and I embrace that. And so we expect nothing but great things for both campuses moving forward. And both of us are simply delighted about what God is doing.